The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way. A voice of one crying out in the desert, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. John the Baptist appeared in the desert proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. People of the whole Judean countryside and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem were going out to meet him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they acknowledged their sins. John was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He fed on locusts and honey. And this was what he proclaimed. One mightier than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop and loosen the thongs of his sandals. I have baptized with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The Gospel of the Lord. Good morning. For those of you who don't know me, I am Father Sean Kilcally. I currently serve as the Family Life Office Director for the Diocese and am uh, currently in residence at Wahoo. And uh, it's been a great joy to be with you this weekend, yesterday for our morning of recollection and today for all the masses. And um, so just really grateful to be with you. And as we enter into this second Sunday of Advent, uh, we focus our attention on the figure of John the Baptist. And I think when I was younger, I really, I liked John the Baptist a lot because he just seemed like a weird dude in the desert, like eating locusts and wild honey. And like, I just kind of like, like that. Um, as I've gotten older, I, I've really, especially in recent years, I, I just really see a need for his intercession. And the scriptures point out how, how John the Baptist becomes in his person a fulfillment of what Isaiah the prophet said. And in an Isaiah's prophecy that we read in the first reading, it says that in the desert prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the wasteland a highway for our God. Every valley is filled in, all the mountains made low. A rugged land shall be made plain, the rough country, a broad valley. That, and it makes reference to this sort of natural obstacles that we, that we encounter when we're trying to get from one place to another. And, and it was calling to mind for me, like when I was a cadet at West Point and, and a young army officer, and we had to do land navigation where basically you had a map and a compass and you had to go from one point to another looking for an orange bag that's about this big. And, and you go find this orange bag and you like check off, write down the numbers, and then you go to the next place. 
And, and as you look at the map, you know, there's, there's terrain depicted on the map, so you can kind of see where the hills are and where the valleys are, and there's these great line, these lines showing that. And, and oftentimes, the, most, um, the easiest path wasn't the straight path. The easiest path would be to follow the terrain, because otherwise you don't want to go way down and then climb back up again and, and things like that. And so if you tried to go straight away, you might run into a cliff or something. And Isaiah the prophet says that we're going to make a highway for our God, that we're going to like collapse all those things. Or in other words, we're going to remove all obstacles. We're going to remove all obstacles. And I have to admit that I wasn't very good at land navigation when I first learned how to do it, and I had to use the panic azimuth. So, so if any of you were in the military, you know what a panic azimuth is. And a panic azimuth is basically like your azimuth is I'm, I'm going at this like like this direction, and panic azimuth means like I'm totally lost, I hit an obstacle, I don't know where the heck I am, I'm just going to go west until I hit a road. And, and then you have to go west until you hit a road, and you find your place, and then you can start over again from the beginning. And I think sometimes we need a panic azimuth in our spiritual life. <laughs> like we need a spiritual panic azimuth. Because we find ourselves in this world where, like, the world is full of sin. Sometimes we're caught up in sin. The world is filled with division. We see the consequences of sin everywhere we look, whether it's in the political world or the church world or, or whatever's been going on in our own families, our own lives. And, and, and it's really, like, definitively been, I think, the hardest year in the history of the church in the United States that we've ever had. And, and, and there's legitimacy to that. And we've been dealing with like scandals in the clergy, the response to the pandemic. We went weeks and weeks and weeks without having public gatherings for mass. Like it's really been legitimately a difficult time. And in the midst of that difficult time, there's, there can be lots of obstacles that show up and, and we can start looking at all this division and all this fear and all of that instead of looking at our Lord And there are two obstacles to, to finding our Lord, or we might call them the mountains and valleys that exist in our own hearts. And these two obstacles, to put it most simply, are our personal sins and the consequence of the sins of others. Our personal sins and the consequence of the sins of others. And so this figure of John the Baptist, he shows up in the wilderness and, and instead of saying like, like we're going to prepare the way in the wilderness, it says there's a voice in the wilderness saying prepare the way. And, and his role in the church was to, was to call people to repentance, to basically say, to preach the truth and say, we need to stop sinning. And all these people came to him because they wanted to stop sinning. And in a very natural way, they formed a community. They confessed their sins to one another. And they decided to live differently. And then there's this amazing thing that happens when we decide to live differently. When we leave sin behind, typically what happens is we start to like feel our pain. We feel our pain. 
Because underneath all of our sins, there's pain. Because we basically sin to comfort ourselves. No matter what kind of sin we're committing. And then as their sort of pain becomes more apparent or those wounds come to the surface because now they're not sinning anymore to cover them up, then Jesus shows up and he starts healing everybody's wounds and then they become his disciples. That's how the gospel works. And it's how our Lord wants to work in our own lives too. And, and I, was, I was thinking about this and how, like in my own life, that was pretty evident. And um, because when I was a young priest, uh, I might have had an attachment to this sin of anger and resentment, which is also the consequence of the sins of others that have occurred in my life. And, and, and so as a young priest and maybe as a young army officer, you know, I had this sort of constant frustration and anger with whoever was in charge of me at the time. And I think that lasted until maybe like 15 minutes ago. You know, like, like it's one of those things we constantly battle, right? And, and so, so as a young priest, I remember when I got ordained and, and we're very idealistic when we come out of the seminary and, and, and I'm thinking to myself, like, this is going to be amazing and I'm going to have this pastor to mentor me and he's going to be like the father I never had and, and we're going to pray together and we're going to change the world in our parish. And, and then I got Monsignor Barr. And, uh, and, and so Monsignor Barr, is, is, he's got a lot of gifts. He's, he does have a lot of gifts, and, and it was a joy to live with him. And he's actually from a town in Ireland, which is very close to where my dad is from. Um, but it wasn't exactly at, like I imagined it would be. And, uh, and it was kind of curmudgeonly sometimes. And, and I would find myself in these situations where I was thinking like, you know, like he has all these gifts, but he, he really doesn't like care about the people. And, and like, I have to care about the people more because he just doesn't seem to care. And then I got switched. I got moved after a year and I got a different pastor with a different set of gifts. And he was like really good at administration and fundraising and kind of getting a building built and, and things like that. But he, but he didn't really care about the people and entering into their life and, and walking with them. And so I have to care about the people more because he just doesn't care. And I have this like growing anger and I probably annoyed all of my friends calling them and complaining about it all the time. And then I got a third pastor who was super nice and liked to spend time with people, but like, he didn't really, like, he kind of avoided people with problems. And so then I got to care about him more. See how that pattern works? You know? Like, if it happens three times, it might be me. And, and it wasn't until I, I had this gift of, of going to counseling in around 2012, and I had to read all these different kinds of books and things like that. And, and, uh, and I realized that, you know, in my family I grew up in, my father was a recovering alcoholic. And, and I think in the midst of his own recovery, he's, he just spent a lot of time by himself. And so, so he, he sort of was emotionally distant in the household growing up. And I found myself always feeling like I had to be the parent of my younger siblings. Like I had to do my dad's job for him. And, and really the anger that I was experiencing and, and kind of unleashing like at everybody around me, it had more to do with my dad. And once I was able to acknowledge that, then I was able to forgive my father and, and see the good that he had done in my life. And I was also able to allow our Lord to come and comfort like that wound. 
and transform it so I don't have to have constant resentment conversations going on in my head all the time. That's how the gospel works. It's how the gospel works. You know, but I first had to stop doing whatever I was doing to cover up that pain. We have to stop sinning, then our Lord can heal us. And then we start, start seeing him. Clearly. And that's really what the Advent season is for. The Advent season is about removing whatever obstacles exist in our hearts and removing whatever it is that gets in the way of encountering this person who's come into the world to save us, who's come into the world to bring us peace. And we're in need of that kind of peace you know, we're in need of that kind of peace. And so we're called to examine our consciences during this season of Advent and ask ourselves, like, what are those mountains or valleys in my own heart that get in the way of encountering our Lord? And if we feel super stuck in that, we can use the panic azimuth and just sort of start over again from the beginning. And starting from the beginning really means just encountering our Lord as if for the first time and getting to know him. We can do that by, by maybe spending you know, a few minutes each day reading a chapter from one of the Gospels. And today we started with the Gospel according to Mark. And, and it's really the easiest Gospel to start with if we're going to do that because it's only about 16 chapters. If you start today, you could be done by Christmas. And just get to know him again from the beginning. If there are particular sins that are in the way, okay, that's what I'm going to focus on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on getting that out of my life and asking for the grace to do whatever it takes to get that out of my life. Or if there's resentment in our own hearts or unforgiveness in our own hearts, okay, that's what I'm going to work on and be vigilant about every day. It's just like, I'm going to clear that out of the way in order to allow our Lord to come and encounter me because I don't want to miss him. Because I don't want to miss him. And there's been great grace and peace in that in my own life. And, And I've recently just started this exercise of like every morning when I get up, you know, I pray the liturgy of the hours right away. And during that time, whatever conversations I woke up with in my head, Right? Because I'm probably not the only one that wakes up with conversations in my head. You know, if you ever wake up with a conversation in your head, like, why didn't my husband take out the trash? Right? Or you're continuing your kind of, like, this is what I would say, like, if I had the opportunity to say it. Okay, am I the only one that does that? Right? And I wake up with those conversations in my head. I just use that time in prayer to just give that all to our Lord. And just say, Jesus, you need to, like, you need to fix this because I can't fix it. Like, Jesus, you need to, like, touch this person's heart because, like, no matter what I do, I can't change it. And by the time I finish, which is about 20 minutes, like, I just feel clear for the rest of the day. And then I'm more free to encounter what our Lord is doing. Because otherwise, I'm always looking at myself and my pain and my anger and, like, how I could totally fix everybody if they would just do what I say. It doesn't work that way. 
right? It doesn't work that way. Like only our Lord can do that. And the most important thing any of us does is keep our eyes on him and look for him, right? And look for him. And let him surprise us with his love because when we find him, we find peace. When we find him, we find peace. That's why at the end of Mass, we say things like, go in peace, because we've just encountered our Lord. It presumes that by encountering our Lord, it brought peace to our hearts. After going to confession, the priest says, go in peace. In other words, you've given all of this to our Lord now. You can trust that. You've heard that our Lord forgives you. You can trust that. And so be at peace. Just go in peace. And then we're able to be instruments of his peace within our families, at our workplaces, in our community. And and we live in a world that's crying out for that kind of peace. And so today, let us pray that, that during this Advent season, it truly is a time of renewal. That it's a time that we we truly can allow our Lord to knock down whatever obstacles are in the way of seeing him. And that we come to experience the peace, the grace, the love, the mercy that our Lord desires so much to give us that we might in turn share it with the world around us.